Are you someone who doesn't see every movie that comes out? Do you hate your friends and strangers asking if you have seen a movie and then freak out when you haven't? Well, join the You Hate to See It Podbean, and you can join Jeff as he talks with Adam, but not me, about movies that Adam forced him to watch, but not me. So, you don't have to. Who knows? Maybe you'll finally go see a movie. All right, everyone. Welcome to uh, this week's episode of Drunken Jurors. We're going to be doing it a little bit different. We're not going to be going over a story, but we have a very special guest that hopefully kind of hits in the lines of usually what we talk about, I guess, but we'll see where it goes. I'm Jeff. I'm Adam. I am Nick. And with us today, we have Pete Turner from the Break It Down show. Uh, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself and say a little bit about yourself? I'm Pete. <laughs> yeah that's that, that's what it works cheers yeah i yeah. uh yeah my name's pete uh pete a turner on all social media and i run the breakdown show 1300 episodes i've had i mean a lot of really insane guests sly stone would be one but uh just the other day we had bruce dickinson from iron maiden on the show which oh, is shit. pretty damn incredible and i mean uh, look nobel peace prize winners pulitzer prize winners peabody winners hall of fame inductees from a variety of things like tito ortiz and frank shamrock have been on my show so wow we cover a wide array of topics and we look i'll tell you right now i don't think anybody covers um spy stuff actual like no shit spy stuff what the actual job is um like like we do we have these things called spy versus spy episodes that we do so we cover a lot of ground on the breakdown show and it's awesome so if you're interested in it please uh, go to youtube just type in p day turner i'll come up i'm not hard to find and uh, subscribe because uh, we got uh, cool shit going on. All right. So, I mean, I guess I'll just start with the, probably the most obvious question. Kind of how did you get into it? How did you become a spy? How did where life lead you to get into that? Yeah. Honestly, it was through necessity. You know, I, I, when I graduated from college, I, I, it was a bad time to find a job coming out of college. The economy was kind of bad. And so um, I just couldn't find any work. I was trying to become a TV radio guy and there was just no no chance. And that era, also, there was an opening. It's sort of like now where, like, we were like, hey, there's probably too many just white dudes doing sports on TV. So let's figure out. So not only was it a hard time to find a job, um, there were more people who were eligible to find those jobs. And so the, the competition was, was pretty fierce. And so I just, um, I'm like, well, I'm not doing it. It's not happening. You know, I tried and tried, but I need to, I need to get on to the next thing. And so uh, I thought, well, why don't I join the Army? And so I did. I I uh, I joined the army, and they're like, "Why don't you be a counterintelligence agent?" <laughs> and so I did. And so I, I became a like a badge to credential federal agent, which was the furthest thing from possible um, from me. Like in the fall of '93, that was not what I thought I would ever be by the fall of '94. <laughs> Jesus, what's the what's the training like for that? To like, how did they get you prepared? Yeah, it's interesting. And it changes all the time. There's always different demands. My job is very multifaceted. So uh, they're trying to figure out like what the army is going to need a couple of years from now. So when I came through, it was really just a blend of things. So th like, there's a criminal aspect to what we do, right? You have a badge and you can go out and arrest spies and everything. You're a spy hunter. And that's kind of what you do in what we call garrison. Like when you're 
when you're not deployed, we still have a job day to day because we're looking for people who are trying to steal secrets or, you know, who have been compromised to provide secrets to somebody else. So we're doing that stuff all the time. And that means things like surveillance and electronic, uh, well, electronic warfare, really, but electronic um, either collection on our part or electronic um, countermeasures to, to them, if that makes sense. And then surveillance is even kind of tricky because there's surveillance, counter surveillance, and then there's counter counter surveillance. And so all of these things, like you talked about like the theory of a lot of these things. And even when you do surveillance, there's like a whole code, a coded language that we talk in. It's not classified or anything. But, you know, we can talk in the clear um, about what's going on and you'll understand every word we say, but they won't. It'll sound like gibberish to you because the words that we're saying, they, they just don't go together normally. And so we're talking about things where we understand what everybody else is talking about. Um, it would be a, definitely apparent that we weren't talking about what you guys, you would know something was going on if you heard us talking, but we try to be a little bit stealthy about that. But you get to practice that. So you're driving around and where we were was Fort Huachuca, Arizona, which is almost in mexico almost in like, like it's almost in new mexico almost in mexico way southeast and so we would drive around the local towns and practice either surveilling or meeting with each other you would play a role like you're going to be the mayor right or whatever and then you're going to be the person that's going to collect information from the mayor and so we practice these things in real time in real life and that's that's the bulk of what the training is, is writing reports all kinds of reports learning the law around these things and then for me in my era, we did a lot of surveillance and, and some collection. Yeah, it's, so, it's, I understand the surveillance part. I was a private investigator for a while after college, and it can be, it can be a lot of pain in the ass <laughs> work. Yeah. yeah. So what you're saying is like the best way to get real world training in this is like just what go to a small town and <laughs> spy on local people. Well, we didn't spy on local people. We we would spy on um, each other, right? Okay. And so we were like, we wanted to blend into the local populace. So that's the role they played. You know, we had to appear fairly normal to them, even though we were doing very weird things, if you were to pay attention to us, right? And if you go to, um, and this is not a big secret, if you go to Old Town, you know, Old Town Virginia, um, let's say, what's it called? Uh, Old Town Alexandria in Virginia, and you uh, look around and pay attention. There's somebody probably practicing surveillance there because it's a place where they do that. I've done it. Everybody ends up there. And there's a mall that we all go to. And the whole point is, is to get your practice in like a real life setting. Right. And and um, it's hard. It presents challenges. Right. So so here's a story. So I'm in training. Right. It's just, this is not a real life thing. But, you know, we're validating our our uh, surveillance credentials. And we're getting near the end of the last day of training. So we all know there's a thing called index, end exercise, index. And so we're all, we all have earpieces in, we have radios like in our pockets and stuff, and you're not supposed to be able to see any of these things. And so uh, we're walking around and we all know index is coming. It's about to start raining because it's, you know, it's Virginia in the summertime. Everybody's hot and sweaty. We've been doing this for a while. And so we're all ready for it to end. And I go into like a, a Walgreens and I buy a poncho because it's like, any second. Now, you don't know when this whole thing is going to end, right? You just know it's going to end. So I buy a poncho and it's pouring rain outside now. And then it's all of a sudden it becomes my turn. I'm going to be the guy that's going to follow our subject, right? And and our subject hops into a cab, which seems a little dated. It wasn't that long. Maybe 10 years ago I did this. And so I'm like, well, I better hop into a cab and follow this guy. So I get into a cab and I get to say, follow that cab. 
And then as I'm doing that and the cabbie pulls out, I hear in my ear, index, index, index. So, so the exercise is now over. So now I've got to figure out how to get out of this cab without like revealing anything. And so, you know, I, I, I like you have to think quick. And so I come up with this real quick cover. It doesn't have to be great. This has to be good enough. So I'm like, ah, you know what? Pull over and let me out. It's not going to do me any good to follow this person. It's just, it's a bad thing. And the person goes, yes, 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 mister. It is a bad thing. You just get out. I won't charge you. <laughs> and, so, and so we've gone like <laughs> half a block or whatever. But, you know, that's, so that's kind of how we use the local populace is you have to find ways to blend in, right? And sometimes, sometimes you don't. And, I, and look, I've been spotted doing surveillance and that's totally fine. And, and Jeff, you may realize this. So uh, we were doing, this is actual surveillance uh, on a criminal case. I was doing some PI work. And there are a bunch of guys that didn't know what I knew about surveillance, but it's not my job. I wasn't in charge of these guys. I'm just there to be a surveillance, right? So, so uh, the one guy's like, I'm going to, I'm going to sit on the target. And I'm like, thank God, because that's boring and you have to pay attention and stay awake, you know? So <laughs> it's fucking horrible. Yeah. And so it's in this subdivision, right? Of houses where there was only one road in. Now, look, we're not provisioned to deal with anybody busting through a fence. We're just not set up for that. We also didn't know how intensely we should follow this person. Like if they got on an airplane in Oakland, should we get on an airplane in Oakland and follow this guy? Like we had no, like no real, like it wasn't a, from my point of view, it wasn't a real operation because we didn't know like what our, what our rules of engagement would be. Anyhow. So, so I, I imagine that we're not going to really do that. And this guy's probably just going to go to bed. And so I'm like, I'll take the first position outside of the subdivision and I know from doctrine, we always focus on right turns. So if someone makes a left turn, that, that's going to just be a different adjustment. And so I will be the first left turn option outside of that subdivision, which puts me a mile down the road, which seems like I'd be way too far. But there was literally nowhere else for this person to go if they turned left out of the subdivision. And chances are they were going to turn right because to the right, there was more stuff. And so uh, the guys look at me like I'm crazy, you know, because they're Again, they don't have the chops that I have. And all I'm really trying to do is, is get paid for doing as little work as possible. <laughs> and so I parked myself in front of this house. And um, sure enough, within a few minutes, someone calls the police. But I also know um, police from the town over. And so we had called in and said, hey, we're going to be doing surveillance in this area. These are the vehicles. These are the license plate numbers. And so when they called in, it was already deconflicted. But my buddy Brian's like, hey, I heard that you guys were doing surveillance on the scanner. And uh, so I want to come see you. And I was literally a few, a few feet from his house, like 10 houses down. And I don't ever go to my buddy's house. So I didn't even know that. So he pops in, we have tacos for a while. And I'm like, it would be awesome. <laughs> what are the guys I'm doing surveillance with? So we have tacos. That's fun. Right. And hang out. Um, Cause there's literally nothing going on, right? You're just available. Cause all you're really kind of just on call in the position that I took. Cause I'm not trying to be the boss. So um, I'm like, you know, what's funny is the guy who's running this shift is a friend that we all grew up with. Why don't you go to his location and deliver tacos to him, unbeknownst to him? And so um, he's like, yeah, you know what? I know the guy next door to the guy you're surveilling. I would just saw him so I can legitimately walk over there. And so I'll take tacos to the guy's name was Jeff. So I'll take tacos to Jeff. So my buddy Brian walks up to my buddy Jeff. Doo, 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 and Jeff's like, what in the hell's going on? <laughs> and, Jeff, and Brian goes, hey, you want some tacos? And Jeff's mind is blown. He has no idea that this is going to happen. But this is kind of the hilarity that happens with surveillance. By the way, the guy stayed in his house the whole night. I took a nap in my truck. Just, you know, you're lightly sleeping. So if something happens, you wake up and you go. But 
that's it. That's surveillance sometimes is you just sit there and you don't do a whole lot of anything. Yeah, when when I worked multi-man cases, I always wanted to be the person that was like on the turn. Like I wanted to be down the road because, yeah, like you said, like I would like set my alarm for like every like half an hour just to make sure I never like fell into a deep sleep. I would always kind of like, all right, I'm going to laze around, maybe like yeah. scroll on my phone, read a book. There's like, there's not a lot you can do without making right. it obvious. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing with surveillance, too, is, is how you set it up. And again, none of this is a secret. This is all doctrinally published yeah. stuff. But when you um, when the person makes that turn left or right out of the uh, out of the complex, I'm going to either be guy number two or worst guy number three in line behind this guy, if not the prime guy, because if he comes to the left, I am the guy because you're never going to suspect that some dude a mile down the road in a black truck is following, you know. So that that literally is, is how this works with surveillance. The other thing I got to say, though, is that surveillance is hard. You can lose someone. in an Oh, instant. my God. It yeah. is. So that was when I first started for like the first month, I I literally like called my boss after I lost someone. I was like, I am so sorry. I feel like this is like the sixth person I've lost. I've been here for a month. I feel yeah. like I'm just fucking this. He's like, no, like that's literally how this goes. It's just <laughs> like because you can't you can only control yourself like you're driving right. in traffic like someone cuts you off a light turns red that you're you can't yeah. like run through because you'll kill yourself if you do like it's stuff that you can't fully always be in control of and you just have to take control of like what you can and but yeah no fucking surveillance i'm so glad i'm not in it anymore it was such a pain in the ass Here, here's how hard it is so we set up with all these people all these cars it's a big surveillance op and um, the people that we're following arrive at the airport. We have someone at the airport. We have someone at the rental desk. All these people are kind of planted. And you got to keep in mind, they're at the rental desk, but they're not standing there in line waiting for a rental car because it's hours. You don't know when the, you're going to, you're there ahead of time. So everybody's on time. You know, it's a long time. And so you can't just sit there. So you're sort of like, how do I mill around in this tiny ass airport and not be uh, like, not stand out? You know, like you can wait in an airport all day because flights come in and out all day, weird things happen, but you do have to try to blend in and, and that can be hard. So we, um, we finally, we, we get our guys and they, uh, they hop into cars and they take off and they're in like a white sedan, let's say. And so um, our vehicle, the vehicle I'm in, you know, we're staged in such a way that we're probably going to be the next car once they leave the parking lot to have, have the, uh, the subject, right? And again, there's a lot of ego involved. So the guys that want to go first, there's going to be plenty for everybody. And you're going to get sick of it. So don't rush. So uh, sure enough, that guy's like, all right, you know, I'm too hot now. I got to move on. So he's going to drive straight. And the next time they turn, we'll have him. And he's like, they're turning at whatever, Maple. And so we're back pretty far because you don't want to be too close, right? Because you got radios, you, you can see everything. And so we're like, okay. And there's hardly any cars on the road. He's like, it's a white, you know, whatever it is. And so, um, but there's a rise in between us. So we get over the rise and keep in mind, we're focused on this one car, right? Do not lose this car. Jeff and I, we're sitting in the car, but do not lose this white car. Do not lose it. So we don't realize that when you go over the rise, right? My, my buddy and I, and there's two white cars. And you're like, well, which one do we pick? And no one knows the license plate number yet. And so... And we don't have time. And so we picked one. We picked the wrong one. We lost them. So we basically, as soon as they left the airport, we lost them. And then some guys will hold that against you. But the reality is, as Jeff said, it's hard. 
it's hard. Like they may look at out of town guy might drive across four lanes of traffic to go to a gas station. Is he doing something? Well, we don't know. So now we have to sweep the entire gas station. Was there a dead drop? Did anything happen? Right. All these things. And that ties up at least two to four people on that part of the thing. Cause it takes forever to sweep a place to figure out if something was left behind. It also sucks. Like, cause you, I've had something similar to like what you just described. It was like, a, we were out in like the country and it was, it was a red SUV and I was the second person. So I'm basically tailing my, the tailor basically. Like I'm just kind of like a mile behind them, just kind of chilling until they're like, okay, I think I need to, when he turns next, I need to, and then I'll accelerate, get up to him so we can make that change. But he made he made a right turn he's like i'm gonna keep going straight and i was probably like half a mile back at that point and when you make that change it's over an immediate hill and when i came up over that hill there's two red suvs and one of them turned and the other one's going straight and it's like i don't know which one i'm supposed to follow here yeah uh and yeah i also chose the wrong one (laughs) (laughs) it always happens let's let's go further with this so now we know um, where the guys are staying. We know what their vehicles are. We've been talking about them. We all have license plate numbers if possible. Not on everybody, but you slowly gather all this information, right? And so um, my partner and I are sitting on the parking lot in, at the hotel late at night, and we're going to be there for, I don't know, four hours, right? Just sitting there. And as long as, as long as we think we can stay there without drawing any attention. And, and look, there's always someone moving around the hotel parking lot, right? So you, you take your, you, know, you don't want to expose yourself. So We've got time. We're like, well, let's let's just drive in the parking lot because there's really no one here right now. It's the middle of the night. And let's go over to the vehicle and just confirm everything. Right. And so uh, let's say that one of the vehicles was was uh, supposed to be a uh, Dodge minivan. OK, we'll say that's what it was going to be. And we drive up and we've got the license plate number. And then I'm sitting, you know, literally like window length. I can almost reach out and touch the car. Right. It's like if my arm was long, I could touch the car. And I'm like, this is not a minivan. This is a Dodge Durango, you know? And so I get on the radio and I say, check, you know, check your information. The, uh, the, the main silver vehicle is actually a Dodge Durango, not a minivan. And someone gets on the radio like, no, it's not. And I'm like, motherfucker, I'm looking at the goddamn thing. I'm sitting behind it. I will take a picture of it and show you. But that's the ego part, right? We're like, nope, my information is right. Like, look, no one... No one's information is ever perfect. It's, it's the best you can do in the moment. Maybe you saw a minivan or who knows what happened. Who cares? You know, that was the best we had at the time. Now we've got better information. You're welcome to refute it, but I am going to send you a picture of a fucking Dodge Durango with the license plate number that's, you know, recorded for this guy, right? And so that's the other thing, too, is there's a lot of ego, a lot of ego, and a lot of, it can be really tense. And so I've always found that whenever I'm doing surveillance to look, you're going to lose people. You do your best not to, you do your best to not be noticed. Sometimes you want to be noticed. Sometimes you want to do a harassing form of, of uh, surveillance. It's no big deal to get detected. It happens. Right. And so I just don't get spun up about it. If you, if I get on a, um, a subway car and the guy pops back off, he's doing counter surveillance on his own. He may or may not know I'm there. I don't know. I don't care. I'm on a subway car. I'm going to go down to the next stop, get off and rejoin the chase later. So these, these things uh, create a lot of tension and ego, but, Really, I, I find that going slower and calming way down makes you a lot more perceptive and aware. Yeah, I think the worst time losing someone, it, it just pissed me off so much because it was, oh. So 
it was this guy in like an apartment complex. We knew his vehicle. I was sitting there in a different parking lot. I can see his vehicle perfectly. I can see who's the one that gets in and if it's him or his wife. His wife gets in and leaves. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm about to have a boring day. He's probably not going anywhere. Well, he ends up with an Uber. Okay, whatever. I can see the Uber. I know what it is. I'm following it. And I follow it all the way into downtown Chicago. And we're at a red light. And this fucker just, we're like, seven cars back from the red light this dude just gets out of the uber gets on the sidewalk and just walks away yeah. like, what am i supposed to do i can't just park it it's fucking downtown chicago all street parking yeah. is taken like so i immediately have to try to find the closest parking garage and by the time like by the time he got out of the vehicle i was losing him like that's it there's yeah. no i don't know where the fuck he's going i can check the next like four block radius i'm not gonna oh find God. him yeah in <laughs> a place like chicago it's so so complex if you're running an op there, right, like doing like a large, you know, military style surveillance or like a FBI, you're going to have a lot of people because you can't just go in Chicago and hold on to somebody. And if I'm if, look, if I'm being surveilled, or I want to do something, to get away with it. I'm going to go to Chicago because you can do things like hop on and off cars legitimately without looking weird, because sometimes you literally hop off, jump on the other train and then you get off and you can backtrack two blocks hop on another train and be gone from that team real fast yeah. unless you have 20 people following you which is <laughs> hyper expensive because that means 20 <laughs> hotel rooms 20 cars 24 hours a day everybody's getting paid like an uplift on their pay it's expensive and complex all to not see the big moment possibly because you know if you sense that there's surveillance around you you might be like hey we're, we're gonna here's the thing as a guy that runs sources like if you think you're being followed, we'll just go to our alternate meeting site next week instead. You know, we're not trying to get caught here. So just wave off and don't come and I'll talk to you later via another channel. You know, so there's always that thing too. So when you're doing surveillance, you have to realize that, that they are also trying to, to counter your, your efforts to find them. So if you do a dead drop, you may be like, I'm not doing the dead drop today. Because look, you're not, you're, it's life and death or your rest of your life in jail when you get caught putting a dead drop somewhere, right? So you're going to be very suspicious about everything. And so when you're doing surveillance, in, in terms of what I do, you have to understand that the person you're looking at is likely going to do nothing all day, which is really kind of fine. You're sort of interdicting, even if they don't know you're there because they're so nervous about it. Yeah, that adds up. All right, Nick, you got anything? I know <laughs> I know you're excited and we just I, I, went for 20 I am. minutes. So. <laughs> I am. So how... You, you you trained mostly, I guess it sounds like civilian in, in civilian environments. How is that different differentiate from like more of a military uh, environment? There's night and day, not even night and day. What's what's more different than night and day? You know, the refrigerator and a basketball or something. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the deal. And, and, and I'll tell you this too. Uh, there's essentially nobody that you're going to ever encounter that has more time outside of the wire doing intelligence collection than me it's just not you're not going to find that person because i got to go out, out of the wire almost at will almost throughout my entire career that i was deployed now, you can't always go out you've got to stay on post to, to maintain your relevance there but i've got over a thousand combat missions all with the purpose of collecting right so it's it's a lot it's a lot of time a lot of experience so even when you find someone who did it for five years they're adorable you know they've, they've got a couple hundred missions under them right how much more can you learn in another 600 missions or whatever it's going to be you can learn a lot so uh, and also i trained spies for a while so you also learn their judo 
and you start to apply that to your own things. So how is it different? It's a lot more immediate. And, and the main currency is trust. You might be able to find a motivation over time with someone in like a strategic long-term setting, but in a tactical setting, it's hyper fast. You have to figure out how to build trust. You're probably not going to be there in 10 months. And so whatever you do, however far you're going to advance, you've got to do it through building not only just, and when I say trust, I don't just mean trust, right? Oh yeah, this guy trusts me. You've got to see it. You've got to test it. And it's got to be like a high risk trust. Because if you don't have high risk trust with that person, then, then you don't have enough trust to operate. And that's really where you have to start your mission, totally separate from the strategic side where, where it's a, you have more time to do more things and, and leisure. I don't have time, right? I've got to go out and do it. I, I may have to even say, yes, I'm, and I, and I always, look, I always say this, like when people say, how do you say you're a spy? Well, I, I am. I mean, if they're looking at me and what I'm doing, they're already going to think I'm a spy, even without knowing what I'm doing. And then they see what I'm doing. What are they going to call me? So I just start with that. Like, yes, I'm here to ask questions and find things out. And if I ask you a question you don't want to answer, don't answer it. Because the last thing I want to do is cause anybody any harm. And so I just talk about that and I figure out what they need and what's important to them. And I listen to them and that builds that trust for me. That, I think those tools work in a, uh, in a civilian or a strategic setting, but <clears throat> I'm much more of a butcher. You know, and they're more surgeons. They've got time to do things and they can, they have more resources. It's just me, man. It's just me on the side of a mountain talking to a farmer. And I got to be able to relate to those folks. So I got to be folksy as fuck. I got to do a lot of things that having a degree from Georgetown or NYU just doesn't, doesn't guarantee you that, right? You can't be so blue blood that you can't get down with some guy who's like, I make my own apple whiskey. Would you like some? Because the answer to that question is always fucking yes. yes. Absolutely. Fucking hammered right now. The guy's like, yes. And you're like, good. That's, that's not the norm in um, a lot of other aspects of counterintelligence or intelligence collection. Uh, and it's, it's not the norm for a lot of tactical folks, but I understand the value that people put into these kind of things. And so I accentuate it. And, and really by regulation, counterintelligence agents when they deploy we can actually drink because it is part of what we have to do and our job is we might be the only person in that area that can find out what's going to happen and so if that means drinking some booze then we're all going to look the other way and allow allow pete to do his work um i have a question and it's uh how similar is being a real life spy to james bond or mission impossible and yeah. how is it different like what parts of those are real and yeah. what parts of those movies are complete bullshit i think it depends on the person right i mean it's this is a very personality driven business um i'm a so in the intel world i'm a bit of a badass in that i can run i can shoot i'm athletic i'm smart um i'm okay at languages not there's people in, in my field that are way better at languages than i am but I've got a lot of these skills that allow me to go outside and I'm charming, right? I, I can, I can talk to people and, and get them to like me. A lot of my peers are bookish. They're, they're maybe even on the spectrum sometimes, but they're so damn smart. They go to Intel, right? And so they've got to find other ways to get in. And, and the God's honest truth is, is in the military in collection, right? In the field, very few people have enough time on the ground to understand what it takes to do the job. Well, we all think we do it well, but the reality is, is that half of us suck and, you, and, and a third of the people that, are, that don't suck, they probably still suck, right? And so you just don't have, if I was to tell you that you could in 
18 months become uh, a human collector who's basically done nothing in the army. And then now you're going to go out for six months or eight months or a year and, and go off the camp every day. But you're not, you're going to be the lowest ranking guy. So you're not going to get a lot of meetings to practice on. And then you're going to come back one more time and you're going to get a chance to do another, you know, six, eight, 10 months of rotational like uh, things. If you think you're an expert at that point, you're fucking wrong. But that is the vast majority of the people in the army think that they have this background of, of tools. So it, it takes a long, 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 long time to understand what you're doing wrong, how to do it well, how to develop some elegance and some efficiency in your collection. So I'll, and I know, I'm going to get back to Bond Bourne and, and uh, whoever the other guy was. Tom Cruise, whatever, Tom Cruise, whatever his yeah, character is. So um, it's nothing like what Ethan does, right? I mean, it's, that's all gadgets and, and rock climbing and, and motorcycle riding and stuff like that. Look, there's some of that in what we do, but it's more on like the, hey, how do you be a cool guy? Hey, I'm Pete from California. Can I ride your motorcycle? Oh, yeah, this should be awesome. Yeah, right. Once I ride the motorcycle, and I'm like, do you have beer? Oh, great. Like, okay, so I rode a motorcycle. It makes me like Ethan. Um, but, but apart from that, man, it's, it's all different. So even though uh, back in my Army career, I was fast, I was strong, and I could run like crazy, um, I was never like Jason Bourne because, look, my job isn't to kill the person and to collect information. My job is to collect information. And, look, if I'm working, if I'm working to support the CA, that means I'm on either on or with a Delta force team right a delta team and so those guys are collecting information and there's there's actors or action guys who are going to go out and act on that information like collect it act on it collect it act on it right so those guys might have to be a little more athletic a little more jason bornish but they're not the ones getting into the fight with like a ballpoint pen and killing people right that's not what we do mm -hmm. i we from my point of view and my experience it's more important that People understand that I am a resource, a safe place for them to come and, and tell me something they wouldn't tell anybody else. I'd rather be like a minister than Jason Bourne. I want to be someone that someone can confide in. Do you want to tell Jason Bourne anything? That dude is weird. So maybe James Bond, because he's charming, but he's playing, he's playing at a different level. I want to find the shittiest shithead in a poor place. He's in casinos and stuff trying to collect with, you know, oligarchs and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm trying to do it from the bottom up. He's trying to go from the top down. So you aren't just like sitting on an Aston Martin anywhere. No, no I, <laughs> wish. Oh. I wish. I wish. Does, yeah. does top down work happen? Does stuff like that and actually happen in real life? Yeah. I mean, there's top down work. It's not sexy like that. And I really can't talk too extensively about it because that's not a, a thing I've done. But imagine like if you go to an embassy, there's collection going on all the time by everybody. Right. So. Anybody who walks in the door from the host nation, anybody who comes to a party, everybody is in the collection business. They may or may not be collecting that night, but you're always collecting and they're always writing reports. You're always trying to find out what you don't know. You're looking for alliances. You're trying to network. So all of those things happen. The thing with like a bond kind of character is, okay, so they are, he's out there and he's got a license to kill and everything. I mean, we didn't even have a lot. We could just kill someone, you know, you could just shoot him if you had to. Right. Uh, we have a thing called, um, uh, you can terminate a source with extreme prejudice, really. And that means up to and including shooting him. We had a guy that was uh, playing both sides. And when we realized it, we had to cut ties with him because we can't have him coming on our camp. And so we took him into town, kissed him on both cheeks and sent him on his way. I'd never talked to him again. 
But we also did that in part so everybody would know that that guy had been talking to us because we didn't want him coming back. We didn't want him to think that, you know, so he may or may not have died. Maybe he's still alive. Who knows? But this is a different game, right? So there, there is some of that kind of thing. But when you see Bourne, when you see Bond, when you see uh, whatever Ethan's last name is, we see those guys, they represent probably 40 different people and what they might do, you know? Like, it's not my job. It's my job to collect information, right? That's really not my job to analyze. Can I analyze a little bit? Sure. But it's hasty. It's in the field. It's immediate for my environment, right? But I don't, I don't want to be a bookish puzzle solver. That's somebody else's job. So those guys figure that out. The guys who are great at operations in my field. So, so they're above me and they're like, how, where do we need to put Pete so he can be impactful? And so they're good at seeing these bigger pictures and putting their assets in the right place and, and provisioning in a way that we can be successful. That person also was a peer of mine, but has a different point of view for the job. So Bond, Bourne, all of those guys, they represent all of those things in one. It, it is my job when I'm in the ground to figure out who I'm going to talk to next, right? And maybe I get some hints from on high. Maybe they send me an email, but it's not like earpiece. Go talk to Jeff. I'm like, oh, okay, great. What about Adam? No, fuck Adam. Okay, great. I'll fuck Adam. Wait. Oh, fuck Adam. Got it. <laughs> it doesn't happen like that. It doesn't. It's, it's on me. And then I'm supposed to give them people like, holy fuck, who is that? When you're in an Intel brief, I know I'm going on a little long, but this is no, all you're good. good to know. When you're in an Intel briefing and they're talking about uh, the bad guy, right? It's often that there's no picture of this guy, right? I mean, that's how little we know about these people. So you're always trying to discover who nobody else is talking to because that's the, look, there's businessmen that want nothing to do with us. They just want to be left alone. If I can find those guys, they're connected to people that aren't talking to us. It's easy to go talk to a farmer, but that's not the guy that you need to talk to. You need to, you need to get up the chain a little bit to where the money and the influence is, not super high, but higher than where we are. And so- yeah, that's a long answer to are we like born and, and those guys. No, but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, this is 100% true. If James Bond came to do what I do, he he would be behind me. He would be like, hey, Pete, you know what you're doing. I'm just going to watch for a while, right? And I would respect his skills to do a job, but he would know right away, like, hey, man, I've never been on the side of a mountain in Iraq, or, you know, whatever it is that you're, you're trying to collect in. Uh, let me let me watch what you do, and, and I'll, I'll jump in when I'm ready. And that absolutely would happen. So you were talking about like different lengths of time. What's the longest time you spent like doing like one specific task? Like, I guess not like task, but like one specific subject that you're looking for, I guess. Well, I'm not, I'm not looking, I'm looking at everything. Right. And so I understand what the, the, the commander's mission is. And from that, there's some implied tasks for me that, that wouldn't be implied to anybody else, but for me, I know what to do. So, I'm trying to meet people and figure out which kind of grouping they're, they're in. And sometimes I'm just surveying. I'm just talking to people and getting to know what's, what's up for them. And then there's, um, that's the commander, but these other elements that have a lot of influence, like they're working on agriculture, they're working on uh, civil affairs, they're working on psychological operations. All these kind of groups have operations they're trying to conduct too. And I can look at them and say, okay, how successful are these guys right now? And go talk to people and, I'll go on the same patrol as everybody else and come back with completely different information because that's my job, right? I, I, I can talk to the same people and get different information because I'm not looking for our success. I'm looking for where we're losing, where we're in danger and where we're winning. And so I don't look at things like, did we inoculate goats today? Did that make you happy? Yes or no? 
And then you're like, yes, of course. And I'm, so I'm like, bullshit. I'll come back in two days and ask these guys again. And then you get the real scoop. Maybe they don't care about the fucking goat inoculation. Maybe they want to talk about something else. Well, that's impactful for me. And that tells the commander what they need to know about how they're performing. Because they don't, this is not like a, a thing we can go count bodies. You're like, did I win today or did I not? Well, we all feel like we won today. Oh, well, then great. And then Pete's like, that's bullshit. I'm going to go out and find out what happened. And so you have to have a guy like me to, in modern warfare to, to go out and find out how you're performing. Because the reality is, is we, we suck. We don't train for the fight that we're in. We want this different fight. It's not available to us. So we still fight that fight. And then commanders that get it, and they all do, um, they're like, hey, this isn't working. Pete's over here giving me all his information. And uh, I don't see anything to the contrary. So I'm going to go with him. And that makes me uh, important to the commander and drives what the command does because they, they see the value of what I'm bringing them because I'm showing them where they're losing. It definitely sounds like you're more like Sherlock Holmes than anything. <laughs> you're you're yeah, looking for those <laughs> tiny little things and those tiny little details that no one else is looking for. Except I feel like Sherlock Holmes didn't have the people skills. He was kind of brash <laughs> and rude. Yeah, yeah Sherlock yeah. Holmes is like my personality with Pete's skills and talent. Like, yeah. it's, <laughs> <laughs> And Sherlock liked cocaine. I don't mess with that stuff at all. Yeah. So. <laughs> But, you know, there is some of that, right? There is some of that, like, oh, obviously this is not working. Like, okay, so there's a thing that we like to do. We like to go out and create projects, right? And so we'll go out. And literally, we believe, and this will sound ridiculous to you guys because it's fucking ridiculous. But the civil affairs side will say, all right, we're going to go paint the government center. And that's going to make people realize that the government is valuable. And I'm like, okay, great. I don't care if we paint the government center or not. I care what you think the outcome is going to be. Because that's bullshit. Now, I don't care how many <laughs> colors you paint the fucking thing. I don't care how nice. I don't care if you brought, you know, bare paint. Like, oh, we went to Costco and got really good paint. You know, nobody cares about that. And so when I hear them say that and predict an outcome, and I'm like, that's bullshit. Let me go see how far away people are from the government, right? And, and um, keep in mind, I'm always focused on threat. But the bulk of the work that we have to do is not focused on threat. If the, if the Taliban isn't fighting us every day, like if they're not actively shooting at us, I've got to pivot to things that actually matter. And, and looking for the Taliban is not the most important thing. And I promise, if you're the guy going, where's the Taliban? Has anybody seen the Taliban? <laughs> hey, sir, have you seen the Taliban? You are never going to find the Taliban. Like you're never <laughs> going to find them, right? So I never ask about that stuff. It just comes to me because I become trusted. So when you look at um, painting the government center, I'll go out and I'll say, hey, uh, Mr. Afghan man, who drives a bus, what was the last thing the government did for you? And then they laugh in my face. Now, that's a bit of a loaded question, but it is a fair question. And you're like, well, why are you laughing in my face? They're like, they've never done anything. And I'm like, never, ever, ever in the history of ever have they done anything? And the guy's like, Ugh, you know what? One time they did this, right, or whatever. Or, or they'll even do better. They'll go, ha, yeah, that guy, the governor, that guy owes me money. And you're like, why does he owe you money? He bought a goat, didn't pay for it. So you're telling me that the government took something from you and didn't compensate you for it. And so then you go ask the governor and the governor's like, yeah, you know what? I didn't pay him. You know why? I haven't got my budget money this month. And so I bought a goat from that guy. I will pay him when I get paid. But so here's, here's the lesson here. Here's a Sherlock Holmesian moment. Okay. So people don't give a fuck if you paint the government center, obviously. Right. Cause this guy is so far from the government. He's pissed off because he's got a bill that he needs to collect on. Um, the governor's like, Hey man, I'd pay him glad to pay him i don't have my money 
And so then I write this and I'm like, hey, the government's broken because this guy has to buy, which is normal, meat from a farmer, but he can't pay for it because he's not getting his money. Is this a problem that you're worried about, boss? And the boss is like, yes, I'm fucking worried about this. We're trying to make the government work. We're advising these guys. We can't even make enough budget show up to feed people. Okay, this is a problem. Can you look into this some more, Pete? Right now, I know he's interested, so I look around some more, right? Um, how much money do you get? Who's supposed to give you the money? And then I can go up the chain in the government and follow it up, or I can go out laterally to look the ground and see who else, who else does he owe a bill to? Who else is connected to the government? Because if we can't build a population that believes in its government, then, then it doesn't matter how much we fight. We're, we've already lost, which, as you saw, we did. True. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it, you said you started in the 90s. I'm assuming that was uh, Bosnia? If I read that correctly, That's right. um, yeah. what, how much has it changed from at the beginning from Bosnia to the end, I guess, which would have been Afghanistan? Yeah. You know, I want to I want to go like three years before Bosnia, right, because we were deploying. So um, there's actually going to be a book written about this. I was with a company called Delta Company. We were in a, a military intelligence battalion and our, our job was really to like work in garrison when we were home on like security clearances and red team and looking for vulnerabilities. This is in Germany, right? Uh, and we also were going to fight the Russians. And so we had to be good at all of that stuff. So we're looking for Russian spies. We're looking for Americans that are going to give things to Russians. And that stuff happens. And so we're always working on that thing. But that was just at the dawn. And any time before that is just before the dawn of the digital age, right? So when I got trained, we had pencils and paper and we wrote reports by hand. And then you had to deliver them by hand with paper, with graphite on them to somebody and have them read it. And then they would pencil and do corrections and all these other things. And we had to write in pencil because you can't write in ink because, oh my God, you would have scratch, scratch, scratch. And always, it would be a mess, right? Because it's really hard to write an Intel report. So think about that difference. I mean, 25 years ago, when we were at pre-deployment, they're like, we're going to give you, you ready for it? Laptops. And we're like, laptops? Wow. And, and the older guys are like, what the fuck do I need a laptop? Us younger guys were like, wow, that'll be great. That's way easier than writing these reports by hand, you know? And so like, you, imagine trying to regurgitate a four-hour conversation when you're half in the bag the whole way, and then you're trying to <laughs> scratch out your notes and trying to put together a, a, a clear thought on something that you write once, you're like, race, write one, ah, fuck, no, that's not it. So it's really hard. So having a laptop, even that was a wild difference, not having to take a, to email to email a report on a classified email on that. Oh my God, that was like life-changing for us because otherwise you'd have to go all the way back to the command like every night, like here you go or, or do like what they called a tactical fax, which was like a ditto machine that could send over a phone line an image, but it wasn't very good. So if you had some, and you could never take pictures, like it would just take forever. We would, we would have someone, their job was to develop photo film, right? Just a couple of years before. So Think about that. Someone whose job was to develop like intelligence photos. Well, that job wouldn't exist now. We would just have you know, digital cameras in our, our pockets. So it's changed dramatically. But also we, uh, we were going to fight the Russians and we weren't sure who we were going to fight next. So when Bosnia kicked off, we were like, well, are the Russians coming? <laughs> because that's what the military is <laughs> looking for. No, no, no. We deployed with the Russians. Like, whoa, that's different. Okay. What are we going to do? Well, wow, all the info do- I have is not yeah. useful for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are we going to do every day? Well, you guys will figure it out. That's one of the guys literally said, you guys will figure it out. Like, yeah, but what are we actually going to do every day? Because we have been doing something totally different all up until that point in my unit, 
We were working on security clearances and investigations and more of like the criminal side of things. And now we were going to go out and try to find, you know, these warlord mastermind guys that had weapons caches. And sure, we have the skill set to do it, but we didn't have the practice. We didn't have the techniques. We didn't have the pros to go, hey, here's how you do this. We just had a bunch of people going, when you drive on a wintry road, be careful because it's slippery. Don't walk in open fields. There could be mines. We had that training over and over and over again. And I'm like, please tell us how to fucking do this actual work when we're there. But there was no one that could because literally no one had done it. No one had done it. So now you look 20 years later after, you know, it's, it's uh, let's say 2016. Boy, there's tens of thousands of people that have gone out and done collection. And as much as I'm critical of those people because they're not as skilled as they think they are, they're a lot more skilled than they were. I mean, we didn't even know a Shiite from a Sunni before 9-11, right? And, and we would say Shiite or Shia. We, oh, man, we were so dumb when it came to that stuff. So we've learned a lot about these things. Are we better at it? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But it's changed dramatically in the last 30 years. I mean, like, like when you say 30 years, like, wow, of course it's changed a lot. But, I mean, Bosnia was, I don't know, six years before um, anybody ever even knew that you could have a 10,000 song library in your pocket <laughs> right mean, the three of us weren't even twinkles in our father's eyes yet when yeah. That happened. yeah yeah <laughs> was it so i'm assuming what you were trained thinking that the next big thing was going to be against the russians and then it was it just culture shock having it to be it's no longer the russians it's whoever the fuck is in bosnia yeah i mean to think about like You've trained and trained and trained. You're a boxer and you're going to do this style of fighting and you're going to make a lot of money. And then someone comes out and is throwing jujitsu moves at you and shooting for your hips. You're like, what in the hell? What am I supposed to do about this? Right. Or, or, or you just stand in the ring and you're like, ready to go. You're all greased up and ready. You're like, yeah, let's go. Let's go. And then there's no one there. And you're like, well, I'm going to fight this guy once he gets here. And then we get to Bosnia and you're like, oh, no, no one's going to fight you. Like we, it wasn't. In retrospect, it wasn't dangerous. In actual, in the moment, we had no idea how dangerous it would be. So it's all the way dangerous. And when we deployed, we were a four-person team, right? And two of us had nine mils. That's it. We didn't have any kind of cruise serve weapon. We had a couple of 916s. We probably had a combined maybe 500 rounds, maybe 600 rounds total. And we're driving around in soft-sided vehicles, no actual bulletproof body armor. We have... Um, a flak vest, right? A flak vest is different than body armor. It's it's like filled with, we'll just say paper. And so if you have like a like a grenade that goes off, it's sort of designed to help reduce the damage it'll do as it goes through you, right? So we didn't even have bulletproof vests. And so we would go out and and try to collect just five people just driving around town. And and that is wild when you think about that. Because if you did that nowadays, people would lose their minds. There are people that do that. But that is not the norm. The norm is you go out in these massive patrols and everything else now. What about around, like, with 9-11 happening? When did, did that, like, kick and change everything full gear? Like, Yeah, where, that's what I was just going to Kind of like pre-9-11 like, into just immediately post-9-11. What was that time like? Like, when did, I don't know, yeah. just everything about it, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, then all of a sudden someone showed up in the ring and um, and they weren't they didn't want to fight, you know? I mean, look, they did it first, but then they started getting whacked because we're good at fighting. And so then they started working from the shadows and it got hard because you can't just go out and beat the crowd up, right? So that fighter takes off into the crowd is wearing the same clothes as the crowd. And you're like, I see that motherfucker. 
and you grab him, you know, or some guy ringside's like, it's, it's Adam. And you're like, kill Adam. I mean, <laughs> kill Adam. And you're like, oh, God damn it. It wasn't Adam at all. We were used. We were a patsy. So it got really complicated really fast. And there was this fight. There is still remaining to this day this evil. I mean, look, whatever you want to think about evil, there's evil out there. And there's people that want to, you know, harm us, our friends, our allies, or whatever it's going to be. They're for sure out there. I've read the reports. I've seen the conversations that they've had. And, and there's, no, there's no niceness coming out of these folks. And so when we, you know, when we kill someone, you know, any of these leaders, Baghdadi or any of these guys, um, Soleimani, fuck that guy, right? That guy deserves mm -hmm. to die. He was in a war. He played war games and he got killed by war games. So don't, don't let that ever slow you down because, look, we, we kill the wrong people sometimes because we attack a wedding. But so does Soleimani, right? It doesn't justify either bad action. But in terms of like stopping evil, that's sort of what has to happen. And you try, we do our best to kill the right person, but we for sure have killed the wrong people a lot because it's war. And that's what happens in war. That's how different it got. You went from being able to gather intel to you need intel now, like <laughs> so we can yeah. figure this out now. Yeah. Did you guys like see it story. coming at all? Or um, no? was it a complete shock? It wasn't a shock to me because they tried to blow up the Twin Towers in 91. And I'm like, they're going to do that again, you know, and they're determined. Here's the thing about anything, anything like this. Like we get all wrapped up about mass shootings and stuff. Uh, Timothy McVeigh, the biggest domestic terrorist thing in, in the history of the nation. He didn't use a gun at all, not even a single gun. So if a person is inclined to do something horrible, it doesn't matter what medium they choose. They're going to they're going to do something, you know with it and it's going to be horrible whether it's a gun a fire you know five gallons of gasoline and a bicycle chain can can make a horrible day inside of a starbucks right hell in the past five years if you look at europe if you look at waukesha it's cars it's a van that you can just rent with an id yeah yeah driving a, a car through a crowd anything can happen right and how do you find that i mean look phones make it easier to find that thing but still you have to have human people on the ground that you can vector in, like see if you can penetrate this network because you're just stopping the one of them. How do you stop the next one? You know, how do you identify someone who's, you know, going to go out and shoot? I mean, you look at, I don't mean this to be in any way a, a political thing, but you look at this Buffalo shooting and there's a lot of crazy information. You know, this person presented signs that they were deeply disturbed and uh, almost almost all of the big school shooters have the same problem where like they had this, they did not fit in with the norm and we didn't know how to deal with them. And so they dealt with us and, and that's not going to change. So taking that person's taking away a, a means of killing people, is not going to make someone who's willing to kill people. not going to make them not kill people. They're not going to be like, Oh, darn it. I don't have an IR 15. <laughs> They're not going to be stopped by that. They're going to be stopped by either the completion or some other act, right? Some other extraordinary act sometimes. So, yeah, it, these things are um, highly complex, and it's really, really hard to go out and walk into a place you don't know. I mean, let's just think of a place. Like if I said, hey, guys, I'm going to deploy you to Santa Fe, and in the next two weeks, I need answers on who's who. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Santa Fe. Oh, and by the way, Santa Fe is dangerous, right? And, and you're going to be wearing the wrong colors every day you go out into this area. So um, hurry up with those reports. I expect something tomorrow. But you said two weeks. So I'm like, well, time's ticking. Get going. <laughs> so it does become very immediate. And it makes you object fixated on, on what you're trying to find and get. And that's not a very good way to collect. It can work, but 
these things work better when you're just better prepared, more, more skilled. We don't, we don't work on skills up front in, in my field nearly enough. Um, with, and another thing like that's way more recent, if you were still doing everything you were doing back in the day, like how would, what would be happening for you if with the Russia Ukraine situation, like how would that be affecting your life right now? If you were still in it, you know, um, Maybe. Would it be China? <laughs> yeah, I mean, China or whatever, right? So um, it's hard to say because, uh, one, I'm look, that's not my area, right? Ukraine, Russia, China, those aren't my areas. I'm more of a Middle East guy at this point. Uh-huh. Like you, you reach a point where, like, this is your style, this is your thing. And so I'm more of a Middle Eastern guy. I, I can blend my stuff, but I would be behind someone who is a Russian expert. So I would be best used, given my experience, uh, to really – teach young guys who are or young people that were going to go out and do this and collect, teach them how to do it regardless of where they were at. Right. Because uh, though I can do it, I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> I've rolled the <laughs> dice a lot in my life. I've been blown at, blown up and shot at and all those things. And I, I managed to be in fairly good health in spite of all that. So um, if I was inclined to do something, it would, if the government had any sense and so, you know, it would never happen. But if they had, <laughs> the, uh, I mean, sure thing that, has never been said on this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, these are folks that can't keep gas below five dollars a gallon, right? So, oh, it just uh, fucking bumped up to over five bucks by us, and I'm yeah. pretty upset by it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's well, it's it's six plus over here in California. Oh, but I mean, God. these are people that are going to be able to solve the problem, right? They and and if you don't know the history at all of the Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, and the President. They have been historically horrible at foreign policy. And this is, again, not a pol- this is not a political statement. This is a factual statement. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys botched, well, Afghanistan. You saw what a national disgrace that was and all the people that lost their lives unnecessarily. They, um, they botched the Arab Spring. They botched Iraq. I mean, they got, you know who was in charge of Iraq at the end? Secretary Austin, right? <laughs> and Blinken and those, all those guys are fools. So um, understanding that they could never put someone like me to work in a way that made sense is part of the problem. Uh, and, and just to make sure it's not political, the right would suffer with the same thing. I could apply for any job that would be appropriate for me to be able to help and really be impactful. I could write my own job. They would never say yes to it because I'm, I'm a guy that worked on the side of a mountain and talked to warlords as opposed to someone that, you know, I don't know, knew somebody who went to some school with a politician or whatever. That's not my game. I go out and talk to actual warlords in actual dangerous places, not in places like the America. So Ukraine, I would probably just be able to advise and guide better mm. than you. If, if you could snap your fingers, how would you fix that issue that just, it's, it's, you see the easy fix. What is that easy fix that you can just snap your fingers and do? Um, I don't know that I could snap loud enough. I mean, it's really, it's, it's, um, if it's you were Thanos, if you were Thanos and had the Infinity Gauntlet, could snap it. I actually, I never watched those movies. I've nothing, oh. I know nothing about Thanos. I know about Theranos, but not Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My buddy said, uh, who did he say? This is how bad I am at this stuff. Um, who is the spy guy in that world? Uh, Nick Fury. Yeah, he's yeah, like, you're there's... like Nick Fury. And I'm like, you're going to have to help me out, man. I don't know who Nick Fury is. <laughs> I, would, I would say you're much more like um, Black Widow than Nick Fury based on your stories. But yeah, 
<laughs> all right. All right. Well, I'll, I'll take it either way. I mean, you're um, Scarlett Johansson, so you're pretty hot. So hey, I like it. That's great. <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind. Ladies are fantastic collectors, by the way. They have a magic to them that yeah, when they just show up, you know. Men are stupid. Yeah, we're <laughs> yeah. stupid. We are. We, we see tits and that's it. Yeah. That's all. A, 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 a pretty face makes you make horrible decisions. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, even just a regular looking, you know, no makeup uh, feel collector lady if they're willing to allow their presence to be valuable and some of them are not, and that, that's fine. But um, just by being there, like in the Afghan culture, talking to a woman in public, an educated woman is a miracle. You're like, Oh my God, I don't want I want to hear everything you have to say. Right. And so they have enormous impact instantly. They, and they also can be invisible in a room. Like just go sitting there and you and your interpreter lady, just listen and write down everything they say. And they're like, but that's not enough. And I'm like, believe me, there's going to be a lot, <laughs> like a lot of information after this, and it will guide us. So by simply being invisible, right there in plain sight, because a woman doesn't exist, oh my God, you can be a, you can be a great collector. If I could snap my fingers, the one thing that I would want to do is take people who collect from humans and make them better at it by doing a couple of things. One, teach them how to actually use an interpreter. I'm not worried about language because you don't know where you're going to go next, right? Like, look, we went from Afghanistan to Ukraine. There may be a thousand miles apart, if that, maybe 500 miles apart, right? Totally different languages. So why would you go learn one language and be like, I'm sort of okay in this language instead of like, hey, let me go get a person who's from this area who's super smart in all the culture and knows the language natively. Let me go work with that person. I would teach people that first and foremost. I would... um snap my finger again and i would say just because you're in charge you're a commander does not give you does not make you a prime engager right so we should have people probably intel collectors who are specially trained and treat it like an actual special force like i am an actual like pro at human engagement because most of these guys are not they're just doing things and they're it doesn't work. I've watched a lot of commanders they're highly influential they're super smart they're well trained but they're not trained to do what i do and so those smart ones would let me just run the meeting and they'd be like, Hey man, that's great. I don't have to do anything. And I hear what you're doing and I see what's happening. And I just let you do it. It's great. And so once they got that and they let me run their meeting, man, we would, we would do so much better, you know? And then I would let them do whatever business they had to do, but let me run like the, like there's a game that I play. If they're a tea drinking society, right. And uh, you sit down, they offer you tea. You say, yes, of course. And then you wait. And then you drink your tea with them and you don't talk business at all. You just talk about chit chat, nothing, just paper thin conversation. How's your back? I heard you hurt your back the other day. Oh my gosh, my back. And you do this for as long as you can stand it until the other guy goes, can we get down to damn business? <laughs> right. And then, then you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm playing the game. Right. And you get a sense for when that, when that is, because otherwise Americans, we want to come in and get down to work. So I would change, I would change that. I'd pull back the ability for everybody to, to talk to everybody. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked. It's not going to work. And then I would get those collectors out, out into other lands. And it'd be like, your job for the next six months is to go to, um, you know, this country. You don't even get to pick and you just got to go there. We're going to give you a budget and you got to survive, have fun, see you later. And then they learn how to operate in different cultures. We don't ever, you think you'd want to do that and it wouldn't cost that much money compared to losing. Um, you just go out and just teach these guys how to survive. I don't mean like in the wild, but I mean like in a town, go to Nairobi and come back in three months and let me know what you learned. 
you know, about people. Not not like don't collect anything. Just go learn how to build trust. Learn what it's like to be in, in, in from Nairobi. I would do those things if I could snap my fingers. Oh, here here's another story. This is I don't tell this very often, but it has been told. But um, so if you know who Johnny, do you know who Johnny Walker is, the interpreter? The name it's, sounds familiar. Johnny it's because Walker, it's a whiskey. It's also a whiskey. Oh, yeah. yeah. So this is a, this guy's way cooler than a whiskey. So Johnny Walker is the only Iraqi interpreter and the only person I know of that's authorized to wear seal trident on his on his breast because he's he became part of the community. Never went through buds, right? He's just a, an Iraqi guy who was a badass, and so he was my interpreter for a while. And um, it was in between the seals having him. So like the seals left him with me. There's a whole crazy story in how we met him. Um, and, uh, and the fact is like, there was a seal who knew me and I was surprised as shit about that. But in fact, he did know me. Um, and he's like, Hey, you're a good dude. You're good at what you do. You're going to keep Johnny. And when we come back, we'll take him back. So we had him for however long it was. And, and this is all in his book. But one of the things Johnny said to me one day was, he comes on the camp and it's dangerous. It's hyper high. I can't explain to you how dangerous it was. People in Iraq, in this neighborhood, we were in Missoula, they were walking around with their ID like under their shoe. And depending on um, who stopped them, they would pull off a different shoe so they could be Sunni or Shia or something else. It was people were in ditches with their heads cut off all the time. All like every day, there'd be like 10 people all over town that had been slayed like that. So I, I said, hey man, listen, if it's dangerous, don't come in. We'll, we'll still get you. First, the first thing I did with Johnny was I said, hey, what are you making each month? Because he'd been rolling with the seals. That's not easy work. It's dangerous. It's hard. It's physical. And he's, he's doing way more than interpreting. And he's like, I get paid, I don't know, like 350 bucks. And I'm like, all right, let's go over to your company. So we go over to his company, which was Titan at the time. And I said, hey, uh, I need to get Johnny a raise. Uh, I want you guys to double it. And they're like, yeah, of course. He's, he's eligible for a raise. We'll do it. And so all you have to do is ask, right? And this is a big trick I learned. Like, get these guys paid, and they love you, like, to fucking, like, to death. It blows their minds. So How I get much Johnny money paid. is that, like, in that area? That has to be a shit dog. That, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, it's never enough, right? Those right, guys yeah. are, are always trying to survive. But for, for most Iraqis, it was a fantastic pay. We also were putting him in tremendous peril. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was so dangerous. He got into gunfights all the time, right? Because um, he's like six foot six and Iraqi. So it's easy to spot him and be like, there's that motherfucker right there. He works with the Americans. And, and that, that's like his book opens with one of those gunfights. So um, just, I'm, I'm going to put it in our it's thing. It's called Codename Johnny Walker. And it's a, it's a role. You got you to listen to that book. It's going to be a movie at some point. Hopefully. We'll see. I'll write it. Is it is it better than all of those uh, SEAL Team Six books that come out I think every so. six months? I think so because no one's told this story. Like I'm an Iraqi and I end up in America. Like it's 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 incredible. Um, and he is he's a very 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 good friend of mine, and he's still alive. And he came to America and all that stuff. But um, he's still a wild animal. Like there's things about him, and I can I can say this. I would say it to his face. There's things that he says because of how he was educated. Where you're like, Johnny, that's not reality, man. Like, I don't know how you got that. But like the things he would say about like black folks, you're like, hey, man, that's not true. Like they were talking that's to song of the South. That's not real. Like, right. Well, I mean, it's not much different than that. So like black people are animals, you know, that kind of thing. This is true about the moon. And you're like, what in the fuck? Dude, don't say that shit out loud. It's not accurate. It's mean, you know. And over time, he's become a lot more civilized. But he's still this wild animal because he had to live in a way that other people didn't live right he had to survive he had to be ready to shoot people he had to have his head on a swivel all the time so he's a different kind of cat he's way more mellow now but he's also like 
55 years old. So anyhow, um, so another thing we did was he's like, I know a really horrible person that you should talk to. He, he is, um, he is like a, uh, like a former Saddam Fedeen kind of guy. Right. And so he comes on the camp and this guy is a monster. Like he's laughing about how he committed mass murder and he was shooting kids and laughing about how they fell and all these kind of things. And I'm like, Holy shit, this guy is a, a fucking monster. Like he's horrible. Meanwhile, um, on the camp, we had a bunch of places to eat, chow hall, but a bunch of like local kind of places that had contracts to feed us as well. So if you didn't want to have chow hall food, you could have kebab and that kind of stuff. And uh, the health department started going around the camp and they're like, every single one of these places, including the chow hall, is horrible, right? Because it's hard to keep food fresh when it's that hot. And, and uh, just in general, it's just hard. And so they started shutting all these places down. But at the time, I was like, oh my God, I got all this, this uh, gastrointestinal distress. But it's my meeting. And so I'm like, I have to hold it together because this is a meeting and meetings are fucking important. And you don't want to like be so distracted or, you know, excuse yourself because you're trying to create a mood. But I had to take a shit so bad. I, I, I'm like, oh, my God. You're like, I'm trying not to have a baby and I'm having like, like cramps and like, like, you know, like this baby's going to come out. And I'm like, finally, I'm like, fuck, I've got to I've got to go do this because if I don't shit right now, I'm going to shit right now. And so I get up. And my buddy, he was like my peer of mine. He's looking at me like, what the fuck? And I'm like, I have got to go. I'll be back in a few minutes. And he's like, okay, like what the fuck better do you have to do than to, than to be here right now? And I'm not going to say it because there's a mood. I'm trying to, I'm just trying to get out as gracefully as I can. And I've got my thighs locked together and I'm like, I'm trying to get to the, uh, to the bathroom. And I made it and I started walking and I made it about maybe 10 yards and it's probably 40 to the bathroom. And pow, pow, I lost all of it. I shit my socks. Like it was, it was bad. And I'm like, well, now what do I do? I'm standing here in the middle of this like runway of like, you know, like uh, it's like shipping containers at our houses, right? And so there's a whole bunch of them. And you turn the corner, you can go into the showers or the shitters. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to do. You know, like my, my, my room is behind me. So I'm like, I guess what I'm going to do is squish, squish, squish back over grab a new pair of underwear because I don't care if I walk around in underwear, shorts, that kind of, that's no big deal because that area where I'm at is kind of private. And so I go to the shower, I take a shower and uh, I put on my, my new underwear. I forget what I do with my clothes, probably leave them in that bathroom to get them back later on or something. But um, then I come back, I put on clothes, but I just took a shower because I was covered in shit. And so my hair is wet. I'm all wet, you know, and I, so I'm desperate to get back into this meeting because this is my meeting and they're kind of on hold for me and I don't want to screw this up. So I come back and uh, everybody's looking at me like, what the fuck? You're soaking wet. And I'm like, I shit my pants. Because all you can do in that case is to say, be honest, you know? And the dude in Iraq, the, uh, the dude, the bad guy, is just cracking up. He thinks it's the funniest fucking thing because shitting your pants is funny in every language. Like, it's just <laughs> hilarious. And uh, I'll be damned if that didn't lighten that guy's mood and make him uh, a more pliable source after that because I was humanized by this uh by this pants shitting moment so you know pretty crazy and johnny walker that book coding with johnny walker is just incredible you guys should definitely check that out i literally it, i just got I, it on audible yeah i got uh, it for a credit on audible and as soon as i'm done with all of sherlock holmes that's my next book <laughs> nice yeah but those are my two extra bonus stories i hope you guys appreciate yeah it. oh they were awesome. fantastic yeah. i love them <laughs> Uh, Jeff, if we don't have Pete back on the show at some point, I'll murder you. Like, no, 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 no. It'll be a thing. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah. We we got to at this point. There's just so much more that we can uncover. Interesting. Anyone got anything else or 
No. No. All right. It's... I think we're I think we're good here. I think we're gonna wrap it up. My so... knowledge is strictly limited to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, uh, Pete, thank you so much. This was actually a lot of fun. It was different for us, but uh, a lot of good information. And it was, it was a good, different conversation for us. So please take this time to just plug away anything you want. Yeah, I mean, really, anybody who wants more of this kind of thing, we've got a lot of it. I've got a whole uh, playlist on YouTube about why we lose wars, uh, spy versus spy stuff. And I'm also very pliable. I, um, if you're an author you want on or some actor, I'll just go get them. And if I can't get them, I'll get someone just like them for you. So my, my show is very interactive. I have a lot of people that follow it because, you know, the thing that you love is that we do cover a lot of ground. And so if you're into that, break it down show, break it down show.com, rock the house. And uh, I thank you guys for letting me on your show. It's always an honor. It was uh, awesome. It was, yeah, thank it was you. amazing. Yeah. All right, everyone. So you know the gist of it. Um, go down into the description of this episode. We have our link tree. You click on it. We actually just created a Patreon instead of our pod bean but it's not completely set up yet but it'll be there eventually Hopefully we'll get there <laughs> so yeah just go there everything will be in there for you to be able to click on all our socials that are where you can listen to the podcast um so yeah with uh if you click on the pod bean or the page eventually patreon if you listen to this back <laughs> like a year from now um if you go to Podbean, click on the become a patron if you spend a dollar you get um you get access to our discord server and you also get to listen to Adam and I talk about movies because I don't watch stuff and Adam has a film degree that he doesn't really use on a daily basis so here we are <laughs> and then three dollar tier you get the unedited video you get the entire zoom call all unedited if anything gets cut out for being wild thank you Adam for last episode for me having to cut that down by like half an hour if not more <laughs> but outside of that I got I got nothing else and thanks everyone for uh, listening and yet again thank you Pete for coming on cheers <laughs>